Hello, listeners, and welcome back to Stories in the Dark. This is season three of our spooky little podcast, and our theme this season is Monsters and Mayhem. I hope you enjoy our stories, because we certainly enjoy you. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. If you've been missing us here at Stories in the Dark and you want a little more, be sure to check out our book on Amazon called Stories in the Dark, Volume 1, The Horror. Also, I am excited to participate in a new anthology called The Year Between, Book 1, Octon Tan, the Land of Dust and Bone, also available on Amazon. And in that, I have a short story called The Bone Whisperer. It releases on August 17th, so be sure to pre-order it. So as you can tell, there are lots of exciting things going on here with our little stories. But this week we are going to be doing a more traditional story called The Forest. The little girl stood at the edge of the forest, digging the tip of her toe in the soft dirt while she stared into the trees. She'd heard things about this forest, tales children tell, of trees that walk and beasts that talk, and a darkness in the center. She looked around, but no one was watching her. She wore her prim little dress like armor, starched and tied and fitted and stitched and all buttons up the back. She didn't care if she got her shoes dirty. Shoes were things that cleaned themselves and were certainly not her problem. And so... The forest. It had a scent to it, earthy and raw, tempered by something picked up by the little wind that wafted through the trees, and a hint of something eldritch and green, something wicked and seen, a little bit of mint and pine, and there, perhaps, vanilla. She'd made up her mind already. Nothing she left behind mattered to her one little bit, and so she stepped across the invisible line that divided her world from the world of the wood. It was time to go into the forest. At first she felt nothing, maybe just a little something on her skin, like the air was tasting her, seeing what she was made of. She didn't care. She knew what she was, and it wasn't sugar and spice or anything nice. Go ahead and taste me, she thought. I will eat you in the end. And so she kept on. There was no path here. This wasn't supposed to be easy. This wasn't supposed to be at all. Some things have to be fought for, 
Some things have to be forced. Little twinkling lights tried to lure her into the brush, but she knew better. She knew they would lead her into madness and drown her in bogs, rotting away in the swamps of the western woods. She ignored them and kept on her way, pushing aside the branches and webs that tried to bar her way. Something sliced across the back of her hand and she held it up. It was already covered in scratches and rashes from touching the leaves and fingers of the forest. But this new thing was a cut. On purpose. She stared at the parting of the skin, fascinated by the way it separated and how the blood welled up in dark red beads. She licked up the blood and hissed into the darkness of the trees. Something hissed back. Pesky pixies, she muttered, and reached into her pocket to pull out a handful of shiny twists of tin, like little bent coins meant to buy her passage through this part of the forest. She had, after all, done her homework. She flung the tin bits into the woods and heard the scuttling and the scampering of all the little things as they abandoned their posts to scuffle and squabble over the tiny, shiny metal. And then she kept walking. Her feet hurt in her always clean shoes. They were getting heavy. She reached a clearing and decided to stop and rest. There, in the middle of the clearing, was a stone table with two stone chairs. She dragged herself into one of the chairs and looked around. There was no sun here. She could see in the weak filtered light, but there was nothing to see. She sniffed the air and smelled iron and dust. Ah, she said to herself, this is where I am. And so she waited. No one wants to hurry the thing that lives in this part of the forest. And he has so very much to do. All one can do is wait their turn. She had no way to mark the passing of time. There was no sun to go down, no moon to come up. There was only a little girl sitting at a stone table in the stillness of the forest, waiting for the one who takes things both wanted and unwanted. Eventually, and let's repeat, there was no way to know how long it was that she waited. Days or hours or minutes or perhaps even eons passed while she waited in the place in between. Eventually, he came, walking up to the table as if for tea. He took the chair across from her, of course, since that was the only other chair and she was occupying her own. She swung her feet as he seated himself. It was the only way she allowed herself to express anything, from impatience to curiosity and back. She swung her feet quite a lot. 
he smoothed down his robe or cloak, some sort of dark flowing garment that was entirely unlike her very prim dress, which had managed to stay clean and intact on her journey through the forest so far. She regarded him. He, in return, regarded her. Are you sure? he asked, already having taken her measure. The wind had told him all about her. There was no need for banter. I must continue, she said. I will pay your price. I have not told you what it is, he said, watching the words come from his mouth like moths. They lay dead on the table between them. She shrugged. You will ask a price that cannot be borne. You will ask a price I must pay. It will be something I cannot live without, and yet it is something I must live without. Whatever it is, I will pay. I will continue. I must get to the heart of the forest. He pursed his lips. He did not want to take anything from this child. She was so still. He wanted to take her back to the land of the dead with him or send her home to her parents. But she was as implacable as he. She would not be moved. The wind had told him as much. This one was her very own. You will not like it, he warned her. That is the nature of sacrifice, she reminded him, almost chastising. He laughed. She was so precious, so precocious. He did not want to let her go to the thing in the forest, but it was her choice. How did you know how to get this far? I just know. It was as simple as that. Nodding, he reached out and held her chin in his hand. He turned her face this way and that. She was beautiful in the way of all things that live. He missed it. He hadn't been alive in such a very long time. Your right eye, he decided. I like that one. Go ahead, she said, her voice steady, but her feet swung harder. It's your sacrifice. He was disappointed. She was so very young. He held out his hand. In it was a small spoon. She hesitated just for a moment. She had not expected this, but of course, for a sacrifice, it had to hurt. She took the spoon. She rested it against her eye. It was cooler than she expected. With a twist, it was done. Blood poured from where her eye had been, and she held the spoon out for him, her perfect right eye balanced on it. 
She wondered if she would still be able to see the hidden things. He took her eye in one gentle hand and swallowed it whole. The way is open to you now, if you are sure you want to continue. She looked at him gravely through her one remaining eye. Oh yes, I have already paid the price. You have paid the price to get there. You have not, however, finished paying for what you want. He stood and wished her well, and then, like the sun going down, he was gone without her seeing him leave. Her empty eye hurt. She missed it, but she hardened her already quite firm resolve and stood. She knew in the way of knowing things that she needed to go left from the clearing, and so she smoothed down her dress and grimaced at the feeling of drying blood on her face and went the only way she knew how. Forward. Deeper into the woods. Here, in the eastern woods, were the real monsters. She heard them sniffing on her trail. She felt them watching her from the trees. She wrapped thin iron bands around her wrists and ankles. She wound an iron chain around her throat. The magic of the forest ate away at the iron, chipping away at it piece by tiny piece. But it kept her safe through the worst of the woods. She knew it would only last for so long, and so she hurried. A sudden thirst hit her just as she came upon a small pond. It had been so long since she'd had food or water, and her stomach growled. The pond looked clean. It was so clear and still she could see all the way to the bottom. And as she peered down into the depths, her own face startled her. She looked rather ghastly with one eye gone. She cupped her hands and drank from the water. It was cold and pure, and she drank and drank until she felt like her belly was all water. Then she rinsed the blood from her face, careful not to touch her missing eye. She wished she had something to cover it. But although she had thought to bring many things, that was not one of them. The blood had caked and dried, and it took much too long to get it all off. And all the while, the iron bands flaked and withered away, until only very thin lines of iron remained at all. When her face was finally clean, she sighed and watched the blood drift through the water. The stain of it flowing red and brown like smoke. 
It was so pretty. She just wanted to watch the blood in the water. She had a knife. She could make more blood to paint the water if she wanted. And oh, she wanted. She took the knife, small and sharp, given to her by her father, and she held her arm up over the water. When she pressed the tip of the knife against her flesh, the skin dimpled, but then gave up, sliced open, and she let the blood drip, drip, drip into the small pool. It slid through the water, down and down and around, and it was so beautiful it hurt to watch, and so she closed her eye and let herself feel the blood flowing from her arm, a gorgeous little pain. But her missing eye tickled and twitched, and she kept her left eye closed and turned her head slowly to face the pool again. This time, she looked through the eye that lived inside the land of the dead and saw the truth. There, at the bottom of the pool, lay a twisted little creature with a tube for a mouth and long, spiky claws. It shivered and twitched and drank her blood through the water, sucking it in, getting fatter and fatter from her rich little girl blood. She leaned closer in horror, watching as it swelled, and as the trickle of blood from her arms stopped and the blood thinned in the water, the creature, as big as she, opened its yellow eyes and looked at her. She shrieked and scrabbled backwards, away from the water, as it launched itself up and swam to her, reaching for her with its spiny claws. It missed her by an inch, and she crawled away from it as fast as she could, screaming, while the little voice in her head, it had been whispering to her this whole time, but she hadn't heard it until now with her eyes closed, told her to go back to the water, to open her veins, to let all her pretty blood go. Something grabbed her. It had long, hairy arms, and it screamed when it touched her, because she still had iron on her skin, and it burned, it burned. She slashed with her knife across the belly of the beast, and it screamed again, long, yellow teeth reeking of death, and it slapped the knife out of her hand. The creature from the pool had clawed its way out and scuttled like a crab, screeching, its limbs bending in horrible ways, and swiped at her with its awful claws. She tore free and it missed, hitting the other monster in the face and slicing open its cheek. She ran while they fought, her knife lying in the grass behind her, another sacrifice to the forest. Her iron would not protect her much longer. So she ran as fast as she could the rest of the way, hoping there were not any more things that could get into her mind and trick her into doing their job for them. Her life would not be lost so easily.
She left the place of the monsters. She could tell when it was done. An invisible line she had crossed, and the emptiness of the air almost shocked her, like a constant hum that had just stopped. Breathing was easier here. She paused just for a minute to rest, and then she kept on. This part almost drove her mad. She had no more iron, no more knife. She had lost an eye. She had no more tricks up her sleeve, but the forest was full of them. It led her on and turned her around and it twisted space so that she never knew which way she was facing or if she was going where she had just been. It was a maze, a labyrinth, a gauntlet of fear. She did not know if it would ever end. She avoided traps and pits and she turned and turned until she just wanted to lie down and cry. But still, she kept on. She held on to why she was here. She had come so far, given up too much, just to end up another girl lost in the woods. That wasn't going to happen. And so she walked and walked and didn't let herself rest or cry. Although maybe some tears ran down her face, who's to say? And she just kept going, past time, past her mortal lifespan, past death with his eyeless face, until she made it to the end, to the middle, to the center of all things. There, in the center, she found the tree of owls. They stood on every branch, they came in every size, from tiny little things to barn owls to the giant ones that looked like people with owl faces. They peered at her with their giant owl eyes. They sized her up. They cut her down. And all the time, they were silent. The tree did not move. The owls did not move. The owls did not move. And for a time, she did not move either. She took this last moment of rest so she could breathe and stretch. She closed her eye and the tree looked the same through her lost dead eye. Well then, she walked up to the tree and found a door in the trunk, and she knocked on the door once, twice, thrice. The door opened and she stepped through, leaving the forest behind. On the other side of the door lay a room, large like her father's banquet hall, with tall ceilings and a fire burning in a fireplace set into the leftmost wall. The room was mostly empty, except for an old woman sitting in a chair, a rather plain chair, to be honest. She was knitting, although not with yarn. 
The girl looked closer and her mind screamed at her and she left it at that. Not yarn. Not yarn. The woman watched the little girl as she walked towards the chair. She tilted her head one way and then the other and continued with her knitting. Took you long enough, she grumbled. The little girl nodded. You shouldn't be here. The little girl approached the chair and knelt. She put her head on the old woman's knee. I think I've proven this is exactly where I should be. The world has plenty of unhappy little girls. You should be out there with the rest of them. While they spoke, the needles kept moving, clinking and tinkling, clicking and clacking, while the not yarn, not yarn, her mind screamed, ran and ran and tried to hide. I've come to ask for a boon, the little girl said, while one of the ancient hands drifted down to stroke her soft hair. You can't have your eye back, the old woman hissed. And the girl nodded, head moving against the scratchy wool of the old woman's dress. I don't want it. I sacrificed it fair and square. I want you to change me. You will change on your own. Time does that to creatures like you. I know. I will grow and change into a woman. And I have seen how the world treats women. My father is a king. I can grow up and marry a man like him, or I can be an educated spinster, or I can leave all of this and be abused by the world. I have seen my father's dungeon. I have seen what he does, and he is considered a good man. I do not want what the world has waiting for me as a woman. I want to be a monster. Dear girl, the woman said, lazily scratching her with her nails while she stroked her hair. In this world, you already are a monster. Change me, Baba. I have heard what you can do. Change me into a monster. Give me power. I will live in this forest. I will guard the tree of owls. Just please change me. There is a price, little one. There is a price to be paid, a sacrifice to be made. I will pay it. Let me tell you what it is first. I am not death here to cheat you. I am the one that little girls come to from the land of dreams. So I will tell you the price of this dream you wish to buy from me. She leaned closer closer to the little girl's ear. Her hot breath was metallic, and the little girl felt a brief spike of fear that Baba would eat her. But no, she had come the right way. She was not some foolish creature, impatient, summoning Baba to come to her. She had come as a supplicant. She had braved the forest. Baba would not eat her, she was mostly sure of that. Mostly. I will take your youth, little girl. 
For even though it is a sacrifice, and it is a price that cannot be borne, I can see that you do not value it. It is wasted on you. I will give you what you want, but I will take from you that which you only get once, and I will take it for my own. For I am Baba Yaga, and I take what I need. And, right now, I very much need to eat your youth. Baba sat up again and patted the tears on the little girl's face. It is up to you. The little girl knew what would happen if she said no. If, after coming all the way here, she changed her mind. She could never get back what she'd already lost. And it was fine because she didn't want to change her mind. Her youth was nothing compared to the thought of growing up in the world she had left behind. And so, she agreed to Baba's price. She would give up her youth to become a monster. One last thing, Baba said as she wove her hands through the air, changing a thing that was so very hard and yet so very easy to change. Little girls became monsters easier than you'd think, and youth is so very fleeting. And she gave her claws, and she sharpened her teeth, and she filled the little body with poison. She twisted her mind and pointed her tongue and gave her the hunger to kill. You will not stay here in this forest, safe from the world. I have more guardians than I need. No, my hungry little monster, that would not do at all. Baba's voice grew firmer, as did her flesh. The years dropped from her face. The girl shook in agony as her body changed all at once, claws splitting her own skin, bones growing. Baba gave her a new eye. She felt it, all twisted and wrong. Pupil slitted like a cat's. This is my eye. I will see what you see out there in the world. I will feast when you feast. I will watch you kill. I will watch you tear through them like a razor through paper. Their flesh, yours. You will kill and kill and kill again, and you will never die or have children or know the love of a man or a woman. Baba finished, and she told the girl to stand. She had become tall and towered over Baba. You are my monster now. You will be as a daughter to me until your monstrousness surpasses even mine. And only then, you will leave this world and find another, and another, destroying anything in your path. The girl nodded. She felt wonderful. She stretched her claws. She curled her tail. She licked her pointy teeth. She had said she wanted to stay in the forest with Baba, but that was a lie. She wanted to go back to the world. She wanted to destroy it. 
She wanted to kill until the blood ran wet in the streets. She wanted to bathe in it and drink it and dance on the bones of the dead and build a monument to death. And her hunger would never be Satan. I am a monster now, she said, eyes glowing red. And Baba laughed as the girl reached through space with her claws and twisted. And then the girl was gone. Baba sat back down and began to knit and waited for the next girl. Hundreds of years would pass before she found another as strong as that one. Oh, and the things she would do, Baba thought as she knitted the not yarn, not yarn, wetly back together. What wondrously dark things she would do.